have a love of zombies that just won't die, like zombies. Hello and welcome to this episode of Game On Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing gamer, blogger, and writer, Tony Lasatz from My Book Addiction. And we'll continue our summer book recommendations based on your destination of choice. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. Tony Lasatz runs the My Book Addiction blog. She reviews supernatural fiction in the new adult, young adult, and middle grade categories. Recently, Tony won the UtopiaCon Award for Best Blog and Best Blogger. We're so happy to have Tony on the show today. Welcome. Thank you so much. Yes, we're delighted. We're so glad that you could join us to chat about um, Utopia and your work and your site today. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I met Tony at the Blog Your Face Off panel at UtopiaCon. <laughs> That's a great uh, title, by the way. Uh, yeah, no, who doesn't want to Seriously, go to- who's not going to go to that? <laughs> I couldn't wait. I wanted to see these people with their face off. You know? <laughs> but she was a very popular guest there, but I knew that she was a woman that I wanted to chat with, so we quickly exchanged cards after the panel, and, and I knew that we would catch up later, mainly because I saw her eyes and ears perk up when I mentioned gaming. So, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You can always find kindred spirits. Yeah. So Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, well, I'm a mom of um, four children, stay at home mom. Um, if I wasn't, I wouldn't be able to do everything that I do. So um, I'm a gamer, although I'm, I'm pretty much a casual gamer. Um, I, I blog a lot. I spend probably eight hours a day, like a full-time job blogging. And I am currently writing my debut novel, which is a young adult dark fantasy novel. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, what is your, um, your blog, my book addiction? What is that about? And what do you spend eight hours a day blogging about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't necessarily say I spend eight hours blogging, but I spend, um, you know, a, a certain amount of time scheduling blog posts, like reviews, author promotions, things like that, um, guest posts, interviews. Um, and then I, I do a lot of author promotion. So I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's a never ending, never ending cycle. Yeah. The stuff that you is deceptively uh, time consuming. It is. You know, you you don't think it's going to be, but when you want to actually get out there and promote and continue promoting your your site or anything else, right? It gets pretty complicated. And it, and it just started. You know, I've been blogging for gosh, almost fifteen years now, um, about a variety of different things. But my book addiction. Uh, it's been December will be two years that I've been that I've been book blogging, and. You know, it started out just, you know, I like to read and I'd really like to put my opinion out there and and share my opinions of books. And it turns into so much more than that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How did that happen? I mean, you've only been into it two years. How did um, your your blog get so much attention? Um, I I talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm a social butterfly. And I think because I had already been blogging for so long, um, I had originally started out this is going to date me, but uh, I started out on a, a site called Diaryland, um, and I would just kind of write about my daily happenings and things like that. And then a, a friend I met on there said um, my my um, screen name was Neptune Baby at the time, and so he said, "I'm going to buy you NeptuneBaby.com." And so he did, and I started blogging there, and that site became several different, you know, about several different topics and. So I think because I've been blogging so long and putting myself out there and branding myself that it was just easy to get this one going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but all that hard work, all of that social media and um, building an audience and everything, you you had really been working on that for 15 years. Right, right. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of new, like everybody I met at Utopia, I would say, 80% of those people I've already been talking to online for at least a year. Yeah. So I've already established my place in, in the literary community. Right. 
which is a great thing for an up and coming author because <laughs> I've oh, already, yeah. I've already got that that circle that family. Yeah, that, well, you already have an audience that you've built. Right, and I have mm-hmm. people that I know will promote me because I promote them, and right, you know, it's just it's wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. So, what are your favorite genres? What do you what do you like to what do you like to read? Uh, I, I actually like to read a little bit of everything. The only thing that I don't read, I don't read any erotica. That's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't read a whole lot of historical romance. Um, but I like, I love horror, obviously. Um, I like dystopians. Um, and I like to mix it up and throw a contemporary romance or, or a contemporary in there once in a while. You know, I'm never, it, it's funny because like I'll read three zombie books in a row. No problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll throw a contemporary romance in there and, and I, and you're waiting for the zombies to come out. And I'm the... waiting for the zombies to come. Yeah. I just saw something on Facebook the other day. You know, I'm I'm reading along and I'm like, well, yeah, no kidding, that's happening because the zombies are coming. And I'm thinking, no, Kate <laughs> Tucker does not write about zombies. There are no zombies coming. But in my head, I'm thinking, I'm, you know, waiting for the buildup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. So yeah, I like a little bit of everything. Yeah, I get into cycles like that too, and I'll start reading a book that doesn't have any fantasy or magical elements to it. And I'm like, what's missing? Where's the magic? <laughs> Where, why, why wouldn't they just like magic that away? And I'm like, oh, I'm not in that world. That's <laughs> the real world doesn't work that way. <laughs> and that's it's nice, way- though, that our books are so immersive. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I review my books as well. A lot of book bloggers uh, will, as they come in, as the review requests come in, they they order them that way as far as when they're going to read and review them. I can't do that. Mm. And it states right on my review policy that your, you know, acceptance of your book does not guarantee a review or in any specific time uh, because you don't want me to read your book and review it if I'm not in the mood for that genre. Right. So, you know, if I'm in the mood for zombies and you're sending me a love story, it's just not going to work out so well. So I, I review based on read and review based on my mood. So well, so I think how that many makes book- more sense than than the alternative, yeah. right? Because you'll 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 kind of come with a predetermined attitude before you start the book. You're kind of I'm not in the mood for this, right? Right. So, about how many books are you able to read, say, in a week or a month? It varies, actually. Um, sometimes I'll be in a really you know reading mood, and I'll read four or five books in a week. Mm-hmm. And then other times I'll read one. Like I've been, I've been reading the same book the last four days now, but I'm also a mom, you know, and a, yeah. and a wife and I'm writing a book, which I'm very immersed in right now. So, um, you know, it really just depends. Right. So far this year, I've read 62 books. Oh my God. Which is actually really low in comparison to last year because I wasn't as immersed in writing as I am now. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to ask about yeah. that. Like, do, does your reading drop off when you're writing? It does. Yeah. Uh, in a way, because sometimes I need to take a break from the writing. And right. so reading helps. And I'll, But then at the same time, if I'm really immersed in writing and I'm reading, I'm picking it apart. Like, oh, yeah. I, like, <laughs> I like that dialogue tag. Or, you know, and I'm making notes and things like that. So. Yeah. I read in different ways, depending on what's going on. Depending in, in on where place. you are writing. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was one of the reasons why when I was working on the dissertation, I was reading mostly young adult um, fiction and fantasy because it was removed from what I was writing about. Mm-hmm. So I could just read it instead of analyze it. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> exactly. sometimes you just want to immerse yourself and you just want to get lost. So I've kind of left that genre as something I don't I don't tend to analyze right. so I can just enjoy it. I can't always do that with everything. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Sometimes that critic doesn't, it's not easy to turn that critical voice off. Well, with that uh, uh, act of a, of a household, I mean, what, it sounds like you can read under almost any conditions. I see, I can't, I've got to have either white noise or no sound whatsoever. It's my environment's very picky, but you, you must be able to read under any conditions I can yes (laughs) I have four kids so you know my youngest is five and so by now it's easy to block them out if it's not you know (laughs) it's not yeah see it's just one of those superpowers I know that moms get right (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I, I don't have it. And so I, I notice it when I see it, when there's this, this calm in the center of a storm. I think, I think it depends a little bit on like your, your, what you grew up into. Cause I can read anywhere as well. Yeah. And I think that's more because the TV was always on in my house when I grew up and I'm not that big of a TV watcher, but I was a big reader. So I would be sitting there reading while the TV was on. Right. So you learn to kind of drown that out and cut out the cut the TV on or, you know, mm-hmm. um, my kids playing a video game or arguing about who takes more breaths in a minute. Or... <laughs> <laughs> and I just block it all out unless someone's, you know, I know the cry that means, okay, stop reading or yeah, stop. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this means you need the attention now. <laughs> well, now, the, are all the books you review, are they all independently published? They're not, no. Um, I would say probably a good 70% of what I read um, are indie, but, you know, I don't, I don't discriminate. <laughs> I, um, you know, there's, there's some that are actually hybrid authors, which I hope to be someday because I think it's, you know, you should take advantage of what each publisher, you know, publishing type has to offer. Um, so like Rhiannon Freider, she, she's a, one of my favorite horror authors and she both publishes traditionally and indie. So, you know, and then there's Jonathan Mayberry, who is another of my favorite horror authors and he is traditionally published. So it, it doesn't matter to me, but I do, I do what I can to support indie authors because I know they need the promotion more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I first got into this, I didn't, you know, two years ago, I didn't know the difference between indie and traditionally published and any of that. So, you know, I just went to Barnes and Noble and picked up a book that looked good and read it, you know, mm-hmm. so now it's completely different. But back then, when I started hearing about indies or free books on BookBub or, you know, 99 cent books, I thought, well, they must be garbage because they're free or they're 99 cents. But I've picked up a lot of books from a lot of indie authors that, have blown away traditionally published authors. So yeah, it really just uh, depends on the author's writing style and whether or not you connect with it. So yeah, we're finding the same thing in the, in the game industry as well. I think with the, the indie games that are published by smaller houses, as opposed to the triple a titles that are coming out from the big companies, right. there's a lot of innovative work going on in the indie games and a lot of risks that they'll take that the big publishers won't. Yeah. I mean, this is a great time to be an indie anything. Exactly. I mean, really, this is the time. Yeah. Because everybody's like, oh, look, yay. I can do it too. Yes. (laughs) And that support network is there always among the indies because they know what it's like to be out there alone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And to be promoting on their own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's hard. I mean, I, I read a book called Untethered by... Katie Hayaz, who is an absolutely fabulous writer. Um, That was her debut novel. I believe she's got another one coming out hopefully this year. And it was a young adult paranormal, which I'm not a huge fan of paranormal in the sense like vampires and werewolves and things like that. I'll read them, but I'm I'm kind of burned out on them. So... (laughs) Because they're everywhere. They are. It really has become like a a sickness. And and so are zombies, but... Mm -hmm. I just have a love for zombies that I don't think will ever die. Kind of like zombies. So <laughs> <laughs> my love for zombie is so zombie like, yes. Um, you know, but she, I loved this book because it was about astral projection. Um, so just something unique to the, to the paranormal, you know, genre. So I read it and I was like, wow, this is really good. So I've really tried to do everything I can to help promote her and get that book out there because I think, that people, I mean, paranormal is a huge genre. So I feel like if they knew about her, if they knew about this book and how great it was, you know, she'd be selling them like hotcakes, but it, it's really difficult. It is. And, and it, yeah. her book is not as big as I think it should be. So, hmm. you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to promote indie, indie works. Yeah. It takes a lot of, of like, kind of like you were talking about the social networking takes. It, it's that, but even more so because you have to hit cons like Utopia and other places where you're going to get m- more and bigger exposure. Right. And she actually uh, wanted to be there. I don't remember why she wasn't, but her she had a postcard in the the goodie bag that everybody got. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, so she had 700 of those made. <laughs> you got to buy swag and you got to do all this stuff. So yeah, 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 she wasn't there. She lives in Switzerland. So I mean, it would have been a trek for her anyway. So yeah, that's a big commitment. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So how, uh, how helpful is the, uh, are the blog reviews like the, the, you weren't the only one that was there at UtopiaCon. There were, there were several people and I learned about, um, street teams and stuff like this, which is mm-hmm. an amazing net promotional network. Um, how much help do you think it does for the independents to, to promote the books? Is this a, cl- a really closed type community that, that people who are in it, use these resources or um, is it just the only the grassroots marketing that independents have got right now? Well, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's blog tours, which we talked about on my panel and there's the street teams, which I'm a member of several of um, the thing like we talked about with blog tours is it seems like it's a lot of the same content right. putting out there. Um, and in a way it's, you know, when you say like, close knit it is i feel like okay there's this you know xyz blog tour company or xyz you know um street team and is it just a certain amount of people that are reading these blogs you know is it getting out right. on that circle um so i think you know we need to find better ways to get beyond just the blogs, you know, just the people that mm-hmm. happen to read the blogs, like my readers, you know, and, you know, some of the other bloggers that were there. Yeah, we're all in the know of each other. But what about beyond that scope? You know, I think um, somehow we need to branch out more. But yeah, I think that's what the challenge is, unfortunately, for the independents. Right. You normally have a publishing company who's yeah, got a marketing doing that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they're going to put them on the shelf at Target or... Barnes and Noble or, or wherever. And so people walking through that don't read blogs will see that book and possibly pick it up. So, right. you know, or magazine ads or things like that. So, and I know just from talking to different indies that it's expensive sometimes to advertise like Goodreads mm, yes. talked about Goodreads and I love that site. And a lot of the things that it's, it's almost like Facebook, but for books. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got a news feed. So there, there are plenty of times that I learn about new books from that news feed and people that are on my friends list. Um, but they also have obviously have paid advertising on there as well. And you can buy, I believe it's like Facebook where you can say, okay, I don't want to spend more than $50. Mm -hmm. And then they'll run your ads so many times until you've, you know, exhausted that $50. And I just heard that the main page advertisement like the homepage for, for Goodreads is like $5,000 or something. Wow. Yeah. Oh my it's goodness. like, you got to sell a lot of books to get on that, on that yeah. page there, you know? Yeah. That's huge. That is yeah. huge. Internet marketing is, is, uh, shockingly expensive. I don't think most people realize what, what some of those banner ads cost these people. Right. Yeah. It's Absolutely. shocking. And I know a lot of people use their blogs to make money. Um, and, and I used to when I had different types of sites. Um, and, I, and I do make money off of Amazon. You know, I post affiliate links and things like that. So, But a lot of the money that I get from that goes right back into the site anyway because I just run flash giveaways and giveaway books, mm-hmm. you know, on my Facebook page that for any authors that I think should have more, you know, more exposure. Yeah. So, um, and I know a lot of people will run banner ads and have things like that on their blog, but I haven't, I haven't gotten into that, so... I maybe should just, you know, because it's, it's hard to review everybody's book. You just can't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I get probably on an average 25 review requests a day. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, and I have to tell them, you know, I'd love to review your book. I'd love to accept a copy of your book for review. But right now, as it stands, my review schedule is done for this year. I I can't review any more books. (laughs) Wow. but I can promote them in other ways on my blog. Right. You know, not every day do I have a review on my blog. So there's other promotional ways I can do it. Um, and I think possibly banner ads might help with that as well. So I, I might get into mm-hmm. that and just not charge anything or charge, you know, a minimal amount so that, cause I know what they're going through trying to, trying to get themselves out there. So, yeah. Or do you, do you try to keep a um, review schedule for your blog or a posting schedule? <laughs> I, I do have a schedule. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I actually, I was having at Utopia. I was having lunch with Megan Curd, and I, I was looking at my phone, and she was like, "Is that your blog schedule?" Because <laughs> I have a calendar on the on one of the pages of my cell phone. I'm like, "Yep, that's it." I mean, it, it's just ridiculous how packed it is. Mm-hmm. Um, how I schedule them, like I said, it just depends on my mood. You know, if I'm yeah. I'm reading one right now. Um, I'm reading Sticks and Stones by Sean McGuire, which I picked up at Utopia. And I hadn't originally intended on putting it on the schedule right away. You know, it wasn't on my schedule, but I made room for it. So, because oh. <laughs> I really wanted to read it. So things get added and, and moved around and things like that. But yeah, I do have a calendar and it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so it doesn't, it's not um, according to when the books are released. Generally, no. Um, it depends. Like I do blog tours and I will, I try not to sign up for too many of them as far as reviews go, because I just don't have the room right now. But if it's a book that I, you know, I've been dying to get my hands on for the last four months hearing about it, then I'll, I'll sign up for it. So then it'll be generally within the week or so that it's been released. But that's not always the case. I just reviewed a book not too long ago that was published, I think in 2011. So. Oh, okay. Well, I have to ask before we leave um, your blog, um, mm-hmm. who designed your logo? Um, <laughs> it, it actually came from a company called Dooney Designs. I had been wanting to, you know, come up with a brand for my site. Obviously, I had just when I first started it, it was just sort of like a basic template type, you know, blog theme. And so I was looking through, I was talking to Carmen Jenner, um, is an author from Australia. I don't know if you met her. She had pink hair <laughs> at Utopia. She came from Australia and she just spent the whole month in the States. But I was talking to her husband who does a little bit of blog design and things like that. And I said, you know, I'd like to have you kind of design my site. I'm going to go look online for different images that I like. And so I found this zombie girl and I wanted, I wanted something that said, yes, I like zombies. Yes, I like horror, but I didn't want it to be dark and scary either. Mm -hmm. I want to have a feminine touch. So I found her and I was like, she's perfect. I have to have her. And then I realized that she already belonged to somebody. Um, Dooney Designs created her and they put her on t-shirts and cell phone covers and things like that. So I told Ben, I said, this is what I want. Can you help me find something similar to this? Well, he took it upon himself to contact the owner of the, the image and ask if I could use it if I, you know, promoted him. So he's got an ad on my site <laughs> oh. in, exchange, in exchange for letting me have that zombie girl. So oh. that's, you know. That's awesome. You can put anything. You can put her on anything. <laughs> <laughs> Um, an author, a friend of mine actually did. I don't know if you saw the the bag that I had, the tote, the My Zombie or My Book Addiction um, tote that I was carrying around at Utopia. But an author had that made for me. Oh, wow. So just, you know, as a thank awesome. you for, for promoting her all the time. So, Well, I love that she looks so happy for a zombie. <laughs> She's like, I, I really enjoy eating your brains. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. She's perfect. I yeah. love her. Yeah. And she got pink shoes, so she wins. <laughs> well, now tell us about your first novel. Yes, tell this us is what I want to hear. That, yeah. How did that come about? How long were you writing book reviews before you said, I need to write a novel? Well, actually, I've been writing longer than I've been writing reviews. Um, you know, when I was a teenager, I did a lot of poetry and short stories and things like that. Oh, didn't we all? Nothing that I published. Um <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually was working on a graphic novel with a friend of mine I was writing. He was illustrating, but that never went anywhere. As so many things that you start <laughs> end up in that pile. Um, and then I want to say it was 2011. So before even, you know, my book addiction was in existence, I started, I did the um, NaNoWriMo. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And started an adult horror book. And by adult, I don't mean, you know sleazy or anything, <laughs> just, you know, the age of the, the characters. Um, and it was a zombie book and I probably got about, I don't know, 15, 18,000 words in and, and then it never went anywhere. So I've been, I've been struggling with this for, you know, several years now, but for some reason, Utopia just made it seem all, you know, possible. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does. It really does. I mean, I left there thinking, 
you know, I mean, how many weeks has it been now? Three weeks, four weeks that since mm-hmm. we've been there, and I'm still, you know, in utopia hangover modes. <laughs> <laughs> well, after the first keynote, I was like, I can write a book. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I was rearing to go. <laughs> that's a that says a lot. <laughs> it does. I mean, it, it, I'm amazed. I mean, I booked my hotel for next year immediately. So. <laughs> um, awesome. But yeah, I'm writing. I'm actually writing two different books right now. One, both of them are young adult. Um, just because, you know, young adult doesn't necessarily mean young readers. Mm-hmm. Young right. adults, you know, obviously, I'm 41 years old. <laughs> yeah. I read a lot of young adult in middle grade, but. I'm not into the excessive sex scenes and things like that in books because I just think I end up skimming over things like that. You know, like the whole 50 shades of gray thing. I I read, I read the series, but I skimmed over half of it because it was sex and that's just, you know, whatever. So, um, so both of them, both of them are young adults. One of them is a zombie book. And the one that I'm currently immersed in is a dark fantasy about, about a necromancer. She's a teenage necromancer and she doesn't know it yet. Oh. Um, and it's sort of a coming of age tale, but with a dark twist. Yeah. Yeah. And she finds out her parents were, were killed and she was sent to live with foster parents. And she finds out later on or partially, you know, way through that her parents were actually murdered by a coven of witches. And so she wants to exact revenge. Mm. So that's, that's where we're at. Hmm. <laughs> So do you have any um, deadlines? <laughs> I don't have, well, I'm doing Camp Nano right now. So, because apparently NaNoWriMo is in November and you're supposed to write so many words. I don't remember yeah. how many now. Um, I but it's a lot, like 20,000 or something like that. I think it's more because Camp Nano right now is 50,000. Oh, and, yeah, and it might be more. So it, it might still be the same, but I know in April and July they do Camp Nano and it's kind of fun. You're in a cabin you know, a virtual cabin with people and, and, you know, sort of, you know, encouraging each other to keep going and you can see each other's word counts for the day and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would really like to get to 50,000 by the end of this month. <laughs> so that's my first deadline, I would say. But as far as getting it published, um, uh, author Joe Michaels did this thing last year, right before Utopia or previously this year before Utopia, where she was interviewing all the authors that were going to be there. And so she just sent me an email saying, here's your interview information. I'm going to interview you as an author for Utopia. <laughs> and I said, well, you're going to make sure I write this damn book, aren't you? <laughs> She's like, absolutely. I said, well, then I have a lot of work to do because not only do I have to write it, but then I have to edit it and I have to get it published and I have to, or, you know, I have to get a cover for it, which right. covers are expensive. Yeah. I just found out how much yep. a really good cover is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're talking five to $600 range for a nice cover. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't include the typography. <laughs> so yeah. you yep. want your book to have a name on it. Yeah. That's more, more than that. Yeah. The formatting and things like that. And I said, well, you're going to have to help me get this thing done in the next <laughs> year. So I hope to at least have this one done by Utopia. Oh, Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. And I'm also in a writer's group, a very small secret writer's group on Facebook. (laughs) And we were talking about doing um, a horror anthology. So together. So we're going to be working on that too. Nice. Hopefully that'll be before Utopia as well. Well, so it's good sometimes to have sort of multiple writing things going on because then when you get fed up with one, you can hop onto the other one. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Kind of space yourself out. So you're not, you don't burn out on one world or one story trying to push so hard on it. Right. I was, uh, I was actually looking, I was getting frustrated with my current novel. And so I started looking back through, um, there's an excerpt that I posted on my blog not long ago of my young adult horror uh, zombie book. And I was like, oh, that's really good. <laughs> I should go back to that. Yeah, and, some, and you need that distance sometimes. I go through that all the time where, you know, I'll be in the middle of something and I'm like, oh, this is such crap. I can't believe I'm writing this. What am I doing this for? And then I put it down and I come back to it a few weeks later and I was like, oh. That happens so often. That's not as bad as I thought it was when I was in the middle of the muck. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. One day you're like, this is the best thing I've ever written and yeah. the next day you read it and you're like oh my god this, this is who wrote this this is I'm not me <laughs> yes I'm a fraud oh yes I'm not really a writer 
I don't deserve this. This isn't me. (laughs) Yep. Well, like I said in the beginning, one of the other things that uh, perked my ears up was that you are also a gamer. I am. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your gaming history? Well, I would say now I'm a casual gamer. I'm not I'm not hardcore. My husband's more of the hardcore gamer. If he didn't have a job, he would be in front of the TV 24/7 gaming. So, I don't I don't have that luxury. Um <laughs> <laughs> Right now, and actually probably since the mid-90s when the Resident Evil franchise began, um, I've been mostly into survival horror. I mean, that's that's my thing. So it's a small pool to swim in, as, yeah. as I talked to you about, Rhonda. Yes. <laughs> there's not much in the way of survival horror. It's all, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things, don't get me wrong. You know, my husband plays um, Need for Speed and things like that. And Final Fantasy, he's very much into the Final Fantasy world and has been since the beginning. But I... Just can't get into stuff like that. I, I like being immersed in that terrifying world, <laughs> which is probably yeah. why I write about them um, and, and read about them. So, um, yeah, when I my first experience with survival horror was back in the mid-90s. I went out and bought my first PlayStation, and I bought the first Resident Evil game with it. And I went home, and I plugged it in, and I turned it on, and everything was good. And I played for about an hour, and then I died. <laughs> I didn't have a memory card. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh, and I don't miss memory cards because <laughs> yeah, that I didn't know I needed a memory card back yeah. then. Yeah, I was like, okay, got the got the system, I got the game, I'm gonna go home, and you know, it's like eleven o'clock at night, and I died. I'm like, oh, why do I have to start over? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> so not cool. <laughs> so I called up a friend and said, "Could you go to Meyer? It's eleven o'clock, I know, at night, but I really need to get into this game, and I need a memory card." <laughs> <laughs> And so I think I spent the rest of the night playing. But yeah, I love love survival horror. Um, back in the day, again, I'm going to date myself, but when there was Sega and things like that, mm-hmm. I used to love the game Sewer Shark. I don't know if you ever heard of it. And no. it it was just, it was the most awesome game. But then again, it was back on the Sega. So yeah. <laughs> if you tried to play it today, you'd probably laugh. But I keep trying to... I actually still have my Sega CD. <laughs> I have a lot of my old game systems. and um, But unfortunately, I think the laser or something is, reader is broken on it. So there are places waiting. that restore them. If I know. Yeah. I know. But, you know, I don't have this. Low priority. Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. low priority. Mm-hmm. But my, my daughters play on the Wii U all the time. Mm-hmm. And because it's more geared towards children, of course. Yeah. And I keep waiting because they keep coming out with things that used to be on Sega. Yeah, that's right. That you can download. Yep. And I keep, I keep, you know, I'm stalking their store. <laughs> Start to come back. And I know it's like in my head, this fantasy of how great this game was. And then if I actually get my hands on it again, I'm going to be like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Chris did that with uh, River City Ransom. He was like, oh, this is the best game. This is the best game. And we went through and we were playing it. And one of the most shocking things about it was how short the entire game was. <laughs> because yeah. when you used to play, it seemed a lot longer. Right. We were younger and you didn't have the epic worlds that we have now to kind of immerse ourselves into. So, right. you know, he finished it and he's like, that's it? That's all it was? <laughs> I have all these memories of playing this game and it took him like 45 minutes or an hour to play through the whole thing. Somewhere? What, am yeah. I- <laughs> what am I missing? Did I get the whole thing? Yeah. It's funny. So... Yeah, well, and I have to say that I'm extremely impressed that you played Resident Evil for an hour before dying. Yeah. <laughs> On my first try, I know I was pretty impressed with myself. <laughs> it's extremely impressive because I have, I have a great deal of trouble playing Resident Evil. I, I want to be able to play it, but it is so hard. The games now, the newer Resident Evils, I'm not as big of a fan of because they've strayed from the you know the traditional zombie which i know games and everything has to evolve yeah um but you know then they've turned them into these weird creatures and you know chainsaw toting yeah (laughs) i just i couldn't i don't even know what that is (laughs) so yeah and and i like the older games just because you had more freedom Mm -hmm. you know like in the first couple of resident evil games you could go in the dining room or you could go to the other side of the mansion. You could go here. And now they're sort of like you're on this track. track yeah. You know, where... That's exactly what you're on. That's what they call it in the industry. 
Yeah, and it's yeah. like, no, I want to go over there. <laughs> yeah, I want to look at that book that's on that shelf over there. Right. <laughs> yeah, which you could actually do in the original Resident Evil and read all the story and the diaries of, you know, everybody. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's not like just like forced ahead, forced ahead, forced mm-hmm. ahead. Yeah. That's not that's not my thing. So yeah. I've kind of strayed from the, I mean, I play them. Don't get me wrong. Every time they come out, I have this, you know, <laughs> wish that it's going to be like the old times. <laughs> this one's going to be it. So I order them all. And <laughs> Have you ever played left for dead? I have. Yes. That's, um, that's kind of a crazy game. <laughs> it is. Yes. And I'm not a big Xboxer. Um, I'm, I'm a PlayStation girl. So. So is Rhonda. Have- what yeah so is Rhonda oh okay I I have not anymore no I I have had several xboxes in my house at at certain times I I buy them and then get tired of them and sell them so at one time we did have two xboxes in the house and between myself my husband and my son we would take turns you know at the two controls and then my niece would play at her house and so we'd all be online playing left for dead yeah. Um, so yep. so that was that was fun, but you know there's there's a lot of jerks online too. So. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's something we talk about often after actually. <laughs> in that game, for some reason, I found there's a lot of jerks. Yeah, that, that game. I'm not exactly sure what it is about it that um that elicits so many people sort of getting irritated with you, but it it does happen. But I've also had experiences where people have been real jerks. Strangers that I was playing with were real jerks too. And if you're not up to par, you know, which Mm -hmm. I wasn't in the beginning, you know, I, like I said, I'm a PlayStation girl. So, you know, an Xbox controller in my hand and trying to figure out what does what, and you know, you play online and they're like, get out of here. And they're like killing you just so that they can have a new player. So, Mm. Yeah, that's terrible. So when you say you're more of a casual gamer now, what uh, what do you mean by that? I, you know, we, I have games here. I have all the Resident Evil games. I have the Silent Hill games. I have things like that. But as far as the newer games, um, you know, my husband, my son, actually my girls too, they're all gaming all the time. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just, you know, when I get a chance, I will game. Now. You hop in okay. and play for a few minutes. You don't go and play for an hour and lose a character and they're like, I need a memory card to play for the rest of the night. <laughs> like you yeah, were I'm not completely obsessed anymore. Yeah. That, that's what I mean by casual gamer. Do you have like, uh, well, I was wondering, cause when you said casual and mobile b- popped into my mind and I was wondering if there were any like survival games you could play like on a phone. I actually be. do have one. What the heck is the name of that one? There's a couple zombie games I, I get sucked into. Um, but I'm not, it, it's not as much as if I'm playing on a PlayStation. I'm mm-hmm. not a, you know, I'm not a computer gamer. Mm-hmm. Not uh, a PC gamer. Yeah. No. And I, well, I, and I have a Mac and I think there's more oh. for personal computers, you know, Dells and things like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mac, so, yeah. um, and I just can't stand personal. I, I have to have a Mac. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other ones are foreign to me. They don't make sense. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I don't end up playing much on, you know, I'll, if I'm in line at the bank or something, I might pull up my phone and start gaming for a couple minutes, but nothing that I get overly immersed into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a different. It's a, it's a whole different thing, and and there aren't a lot of games that are sort of dystopian. And I'm thinking of one. There was one Ryan showed me. That's a zombie game where you are shooting zombies from a plane. Hmm, that that's sounds cool. Kind of fun, and you can jump into and play for a few minutes. And um, a mobile game. What was that? Is it a mobile game? Yeah, yeah, that you play on the phone. Yeah, and you're you're targeting. It's like you're in a plane and you're targeting and you're trying to protect like the civilians on the ground from the hordes of zombies. Nice. And as you continue to play it, you can upgrade your guns and your scope so you can see better and you can shoot better, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I know I've talked about it before on the show and I can never remember what the name of it is, but I played it for like five minutes on his phone and I absolutely loved it. And I was like, I can't download this right now because I'm too busy to get sucked oh. into this game. <laughs> we'll find it and we'll, we'll put it, it in the blog post. Yeah. yeah. There's one, there's one that I absolutely love. Like I said, I mean, it's, and I can't remember the name of it either, but mm-hmm. um, you're, you start out and you're in a field and you just start running <laughs> and you're running at these zombies coming at you and it's, you're running through cornfields and things like that. And there's options where if you, you know, depending on the distance you go, depends on how much, you know, loot you rack up. Mm-hmm. And so if you get enough money, then you can have a German shepherd start with you the next mm-hmm. time or oh, cool. pick, 
take extra ammo boxes out there, things like oh, nice. that. So oh, um, cool. I, I've never made it past the first cornfield. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> and it's funny because you can choose, they give you an option to choose whether or not you tap the screen or tilt the screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm more of a tilter than a tapper. So I'm, you know, I'll be sitting in line at the bank, you know, in the drive through or whatever. And, and my phone's like halfway out the window and I'm <laughs> Like, no, go to the left, go to the left. <laughs> Where did that zombie come from? <laughs> so now, did you get a chance to take the uh, gamer quiz? I did. I did. Um, it, it told me that I was a role player, which I agree with. Um, and I think that probably has to do with the fact that I'm a writer because yeah. I like creating worlds. Yep. And I'm just going to say that. Yeah. And developing characters and things like that. As far as the um, the avatar questions that are in that quiz, I don't play a whole lot of games where I'm allowed the option to create an avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband, I've watched him spend an hour on, he was baiting um, one of the fi- recent Final Fantasy releases. Um, he was beta testing that for a good couple months. And oh my gosh, I'd sit here and watch him for an hour creating <laughs> a through the options, yeah. I'm like, those ears are the same as the last ears. <laughs> There's just a slight extra point. I mean, really, can we get on with the game? <laughs> so as much as I would I would love to do that, though, and write a, an elaborate backstory and, and things like that, because that's just in my nature to do, I don't get that option with the games I play. So. Yeah, I was thinking about that. As soon as you said it was sort of survival horror, I'm like, those are those are almost as limited as first-person shooters tend to be, maybe even more so. Right. Yeah. Because you're stepping well, into a created story as opposed to a more open world. Right. I mean, sometimes, like in the... I don't remember if they do them in the more recent Resident Evil games, but, you know, you get to pick a character at least, you know, do right. you want the guy or the girl? Yeah, <laughs> they did have, yeah, they did always have an option. That's one of the things I've always respected about Resident Evil. There was always an option to play a female character. Right. And and my thing, though, was <laughs> I want, it doesn't matter if it's male or female, I want the one with the biggest arsenal to start yeah. out with. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the so, original Resident Evil, Jill had the gun and the guy had the knife. Had so. the knife, right. Yeah. So I was going with Jill. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So what did you come up with uh, secondary in the quiz? Do you remember? There's a secondary? <laughs> oh, I thought it ranked them when you took the quiz. Okay. Never mind. I, I have a feeling that there, there's probably even mastery in there. Yeah, it gave me a, um, a percentage. Mm-hmm. Actually, it and I actually screenshot that. I don't know what I did with it now. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. See, I was, I was prepared. But I, <laughs> um, but I do actually like... I would say my secondary would be self, not mastery. My my husband actually, I had him take the quiz last night, and he was mastery all the way because that's he wants the loot, he wants the ranking, the stuff, he wants yeah. that he, he doesn't care about anything else. Although he does spend an hour creating an avatar, but yeah, but he wants the loot. He wants to be you know top on the on the ranks and stuff like that. But I would say my secondary would have to be self because while I do love to create an alternate identity. I also want to see myself as that, you know, kick-ass zombie slaying mm-hmm. person, yeah, yeah. person, you know. So if I had the opportunity, it could go either way as far as creating a, a totally new identity or somebody that I want to be. So well, My guess is if you ever did, like, drop into um, a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, you know, an MMORPG, right. you would likely have multiple characters and you'd probably have one that was sort of a self character and then, you know, plenty that you role-played and played with identities with. That would be my guess. Yeah. Because other people I know who are authors who tend to lean toward, you know, fiction writing in general as a hobby or an interest, that's what they end up doing in game. Right. So, yeah. So overall then, how would you define a gamer? Well... First of all, if if I ask for their gamer tag and they know what I'm talking about, <laughs> and they look at me like I just spoke French, then then they're a gamer. <laughs> That's great. Well, and do you find that because you're mom, because you're 41, that your interest in gaming is something that people kind of cock their head to the side to when you tell them about it? I think not necessarily. Uh-huh. I mean, because the the type of people that I surround myself with. Yeah. Are gamers right? But 
to go to, say, a con like Utopia mm-hmm. and then say, hey, you know, do you have a gamer tag on PlayStation? And then th- those people might look like, like, what? what? <laughs> do, you want, do you want my Goodreads username? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it just depends on who. On who you're talking to, who your audience is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but sense. really, I mean, I would I would say that any anyone that knows video games, you know, gets excited when E3 is coming up and right. is in the know about, you know, the upcoming games and what's happening on the, on the new systems, you know, the whole battle between the PS4 and the Xbox one, which I can tell you, I've had both. I have a PS4. Like I said, I always buy an Xbox. <laughs> it's gone already. I bought it in February. Really? Bought- an Xbox oh, one. And you I didn't, bought- I bought an Xbox one and <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah, the the new Dead Rising game was awesome. I loved how it wasn't just get in there and, and run through the, the horde of zombies and grab different things. You could build different weapons, more so than in any other, you know, of their, their games. So they did make a lot of changes to it. Um, but it's still, the Xbox just sat there. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. It really just it really just sat there. And so after a couple months I thought, I'm sick of dusting this thing. <laughs> Off on Craigslist you go. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I can use that money to buy more games for my PS4. Right. That I'm actually that you're actually gonna play. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm on Gamefly. Do you know what that is? I'm sure you do. Yeah, that's the rental site, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I love that because you know, these days it's not like back in the day when there was a blockbuster on every corner. Right. Or or any, you know, place where you could select from their video games to rent. Mm-hmm. So you either have to buy, which, you know, it's 60 bucks a pop, or you've got, you know, the option of Gamefly. So mm-hmm. I love that, you know, what I'm kind of upset with them right now just because I tried them for a while a couple of years ago, and then we ended up quitting them, and then we tried them, and then we quit them. And it seems like when you first join, everything's great. You get all the games you wanted at the top of your list, you know, but... Um, it, it really is the best alternative since there are no places to rent games other than, you know, I mean, you can, I don't know, can you rent them on the PlayStation store or just buy them? I think you can just buy them on the I PlayStation I think you can just buy on most of the, uh, most of the electronic stores, I think. Right. Yeah. Now we have the PlayStation Plus. I don't know if you have that, Ron. <laughs> no. You get like a free game every month and you get huge discounts on games. Hmm. I want to say it's like $20 every three months or something like that. Oh, maybe it's less. It might be $10. My husband deals with that, but yeah, I mean, you get a free game every month. They give you like a selection. Here's a free game for the month. And so it gives you an opportunity to try out new games and if you don't like it. You just delete it, you know? Yeah, that is cool. And I love Gamefly's option to buy because it's cheaper than buying, you know, flat out from Best Buy, you know? Yeah, yeah, just going and getting the game. Right. The only other place I think I don't even know if they still do it, but I know the the GameStop I think used to rent games, but I think they just sell used games now instead. Yeah, we have yeah. a GameStop yeah ship card or whatever where you get discounts on the used games too, so that's that's helpful. Yeah. Well, Tony, it's been great having you on the show. I'm so excited that we got together as soon as we could after um, Utopia Con. So I encourage so much fun. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, I encourage everybody to go out to my book addiction, the uh, UtopiaCon award-winning um, book review site, and also keep uh, an eye out for uh, Tony's upcoming novels, possibly next year. And if so, the, uh, we'll probably have her on again to talk about it. It'll be an exciting time. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> This summer, we're making book recommendations based off of your destination of choice, and we're really glad that Tony stuck around, our book reviewer, and that she could contribute. So we're going to start off uh, book recommendations for The Beach. So what do you have for us this week, Regina? I have one of my all-time favorite humorist writers, um, Christopher Moore. Um, which I think is a great recommendation for the beach. The one problem about reading any kind of Christopher Moore in public is um, you actually laugh out loud reading Christopher Moore. Oh, that's awesome. And 
and which is a very rare, I don't know about for you guys, but, um, I don't generally, I mean, you'll, you'll kind of, you know, huh, or whatever, but, but you laugh like guffaw reading Christopher Moore. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of the best things. And, um, he has a series of vampire books that start with blood sucking fiends. And that's, that's always the one I, I tell people to start with that series because, um, he's got a, a really powerful female lead character that he writes. Uh, and there aren't very many male authors that I, so I sometimes I'm very suspicious of their female characters, but he does a really great job with his cool. female leads and um, and has lots of powerful characters that kind of evolve in the series. He wrote it to be a standalone book, but it ends on kind of an open-ended cliffhanger, and his fans love the story so much that he actually wrote um, You Suck and Bite Me. <laughs> are the two that come after it because his fans had asked him for years to continue that series. So start with blood sucking fiends. Be aware that you'll be at the beach. So, you know, people will be slightly blinded by your pale skin probably, or, you know, <laughs> if it was me, they'd be blinded by my pale skin, I should say. Um, so they might not even notice that, you know, uh, you're laughing hysterically as you're reading. <laughs> Okay, that's that went on my list. <laughs> they have <laughs> audiobooks of them too, which um, which are equally as humorous. So I'm gonna that's pick fun. that up. Yeah, it's pretty fun. So, what about you, Rondo, for the beach? Um, for the beach, I'm going with the um, Odd Thomas series by Dean Koontz. Um, and if anybody knows me and knows how extremely bizarre I would ever recommend a Dean Koontz. Yeah, book. I'm I'm looking at this and like my head actually tipped to the side when I started. I'm yeah. Like, what? <laughs> I, I don't think that the book is I, I, I don't particularly care for Kuntz's writing. I don't think it's it's stellar. But the odd Thomas to me is a, at least a unique approach to this type of story and character. Mm-hmm. It definitely is a paranormal um, theme. Odd Thomas, his name is odd. And he uh, can communicate with the dead. Basically, he sees them. He cannot talk to them. They can't talk to him, but they try to communicate to him um, information. He has visions, and it's a very small town, personal kind of story. He's a young fry cook, and he has absolutely no aspirations beyond that, which I really like his reasoning behind that. There, it's not just, you know, I happen to be a fry cook. There's a, a, a really um, heartfelt explanation behind it, mm. so... And they recently made a movie about it, which does not surprise me one bit. Um, wasn't a big hit, but it did star um, Anton Yelchin, who was Chekhov in the new Star Trek. Mm. Perfectly cast. Um, and I thought it, it, it did great justice to the story. It was, it, it, was, uh, uh, it was one of those books that that's a good idea. It, it's funny so that you say that because coming from me, a book reviewer, I'm going to say something that I, I don't think I've ever said before. But I have not read the book, but I have seen the movie. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good movie. It was cute. It was entertaining. It wasn't, you know, anything deep, you know. That's kind of what Koontz is about, though. Yes. Even as a writer, being entertaining rather than deep. Right. Exactly. So that makes sense. Well, what about you, Tony? What would you recommend for the beach? Uh, For the beach, I I went with um, Extra Credit Epidemic uh, by Nina Post. it's just a fun, quirky adventure type of story. Um, nothing, you know, too deep where you're going to get sucked in and get, you know, a major sunburn while you're laying on the beach. So <laughs> the, the protagonist's name is Taffy. And she is, she's a high school senior. She's a science geek. But at the same time, she's sort of like gamer geek where, you know, she has friends. <laughs> you know, she's still cool, but mm-hmm. she's geeky. So you know, she quotes things from like the dead milkman and the big Lebowski throughout the story. So <laughs> that's she, awesome. She kind of reminds me of Ellen Page in Juno. If mm. you, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's kind of nerdy, but she's kind of cool. So yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's a fun book. She actually, um, she notices a rising number of, um, cases of food poisoning in her area. And so her, her idea of fun is going in and investigating this. And so, she goes to a teacher that she trusts to point her in the right direction and get her started with materials and things. And he says, sure, I'll do this, but you have to play and work nicely with these two other students. So mm. uh, it, it just becomes <laughs> a very fun adventure. 
Cool. And I did I like that. Out, out a lot during that book. So. Nice. I love that. I really do. Well, Regina, what about for the mountains? Uh, for the mountains, um, I picked an essayist, uh, David Sedaris. Uh, again, another humorous one, but um, short, um, shorter pieces that you could read, like in between hiking. Um, and my favorite book of his, actually, my favorite book of his is a Christmas book, which I'm not recommending for a summer reading. Um, <laughs> but he traveled to and actually lived in Paris and wrote about um, sort of his experiences learning how to speak French. Mm-hmm. And the book is called Me Talk Pretty One Day. And, oh, yeah. um, and it's, it's, it's got a lot of sort of humorous. Um, he's very sarcastic and very kind of cynical. So all of his his pieces kind of have that bend to them. So, um, so yeah, so I selected that one for, for the mountains. So to keep you kind of on your toes while you're, while you're hanging out and relaxing in the, in the, in the cabin. (laughs) Yeah. I went with, um, moon called, which is, um, book one of the mercy Thompson series by Patricia Briggs. And I don't read a lot of paranormal or, uh, supernatural. I'm not sure what category this would be in. And I'm, it's probably, I don't know if it's NA or YA, but um, Mercy Thomas is a shifter and the book rotates around a couple of um, werewolf pack feuds and an unfortunate death and some, <clears throat> all of a sudden, uh, a rash of brand new werewolves that are abandoned and mistreated. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a wonderful mystery, and I thought it'd just be really fun sitting up in the cabin and all the woods and yeah. with the stars out at night mystery. reading about werewolves. Yeah, 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 it's fun. Very fun. What about you, Tony? Um, I actually went with um, Donners of the Dead by Karina Halley. Uh, it's actually the setting is actually in the mountains, so uh-huh. um, <laughs> uh, the Sierra Nevada mountains. Oh, it's my mountains. It's kind of a a cool mashup of genres it's um it's historical it's actually based loosely around the california gold rush set in eight you know and yeah it's set in, mm-hmm. right after it in 1851 so but <clears throat> the protagonist is her name's eve and she's an 18 year old um, native american girl um she's got a reputation of being a, a really good tracker and so this group of men rolls into town and wants a good tracker to go in and search for um, a, another group of people that disappeared in the mountains, which is what they're telling her, but other things happen. And it, it rolls into a horror novel um, oh. with kind of zombie-like creatures, but not really. So, I mean, there's cowboys, there's romance, there's zombies. <laughs> wow, a little bit of everything. You know, and it's set in the mountains. So, yeah. you know, perfect, perfect dark, creepy tale for, for the mountains, I think. Yeah. And who was the author? Karina Halley. Okay. Writing furiously. (laughs) My book list is so huge. I don't don't see how you get through a book a week. And and, and I read every night. I don't know. (laughs) Regina, what about international travel? Um, I decided to go with an American classic for my international suggestion. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. Oh, I almost put that on my list. Really? (laughs) Yes. I've had a a really interesting relationship with The Great Gatsby. It's one of those books that I read it in high school and I hated it. Like I couldn't understand Mm -hmm. what the hoopla was about it in high school. (laughs) And then I read it again in college and I was a little bit more um, interested in it. And then I read it in my master's program. And I don't know what happened in the years between college and my master's program, but I read it then and I was like, oh, I love this book. (laughs) And I think there's something about the simplicity of – well, Fitzgerald isn't actually simplistic. He's more um, more flowery and complex sort of in his writing style. But the simplicity of the storyline, I think, that I didn't think was as interesting when I was younger. And as I got older, I could see kind of the beauty and the clarity of it. And when I think of being an American traveling internationally, I think of trying to take, you know, the best of America with you as representative. And I think Fitzgerald would be good, you know, to pop open, like I said earlier on the train Mm -hmm. or, you know, in a cafe where you're sitting and reading to kind of mark you as, as who you are. So yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. What about you? 
Yeah, internationally, I, I, um, I actually started making uh, my list ahead of time. So I've got my list for, for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm really kind and, of not happy about you with that. <laughs> I'm totally behind. I'm always like, oh, that's right. I need to figure out something. Else. But what I'm noticing with my, my international travel books is they're getting kind of kind of dark and gloomy. <laughs> Which is really not a really good introduction for this book, but I, um, for this week, I'm recommending Life of Pi by Jan Martel. Oh. Um, it's a beautiful, um, beautiful story, and it's just very well told, and I believe the very first time um, I listened to it on audiobook, and I highly recommend that even, if, um, that, which is also something I tend to put on the international mm-hmm. list is books that you can listen to in audio. Yeah. Um, it would be great for an airplane, um, especially if you're flying over the ocean, because he, he does a great job of bringing out the beauty and the strength and the power uh, of the ocean. And um, if, in, if anyone's not familiar with it, the, it pretty much starts off it, a journalist has heard um, a fantastic survival story of a boy who survived uh, being stranded uh, from a sinking ship. He was sole survivor, stranded on a raft for for many, many, many days. And he's gone to the boy to hear his story about it. Mm-hmm. And he's a grown man now. And so he, the book is the boy's story. Oh, yeah, and it's pretty phenomenal. Have either of you read it? I haven't, no. I haven't read it. I know about it. It was our um, our common reading one year at the at WSU, where all the freshmen read it, mm. and then could you could use you could use it like as a as writing assignments if you wanted to. And I opted not to, but yeah, it's beautiful. I love the um, I love the conflict that comes up because he's a um, he is a staunch vegetarian, mm. and he's stranded at sea. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And um, uh, a very, uh, not very religious, but very faithful to his God. Mm-hmm. And he has um, every crisis possible, including spiritual crisis. Yeah. So it's it's very good. Interesting. Very well yeah. Books like that. I'm definitely going to have to read that. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Tony? What about internationally? I chose um, Chasing the Star Garden uh, by Melanie Karzik. It's Another kind of mashup. It's um, it's a mix of uh, historical fiction and steampunk and fantasy, um, and it <clears throat> it starts out in London, like you know, gas lamp London, and the the protagonist Lily is very damaged. She's an you know an opium addict, and she's mm-hmm. very dark, and um, she races airships, and so she's a very free spirit, and she ends up um, traveling. She has this mission that she decides to take of sorts that um, she ends up traveling to Venice with a group of people and searching for a particular thing. It kind of reminds me of like a national treasure or Da Vinci code type, you know, where they're, Mm, they're searching for something, you know, some sort of treasure that, that means, you know, something. So um, it's just, it's very vivid. Melanie is great at describing anything. I mean, you know, she could, she could describe a a pile of garbage and you would be like, wow. (laughs) So it just, with all of the like old London, you know, in the, in the opium dens and, and things like that. And then the places that they go, the beautiful places they go in Venice, it's just, I mean, I was completely immersed in that book, you know, and I'd love to, it's, it's actually a series. That's the first book. It's called the air race um, the airship racing chronicles. Um, the second book is out, but unfortunately I haven't had a chance to read it yet because you know, I have 2000 books in my queue. So (laughs) (laughs) I I sometimes envy the casual reader that can just go from book one to book two to book three, but you know, it's, I I can't wait to get a hold of that second one though. It's, it's perfect for, for international travel because you actually travel internationally via, you know, airship. (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. Awesome. Well, Tony, thanks for staying on and joining us for our book recommendations. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And um, everybody will have um, all the book titles and authors with links on the blog whenever we post the uh, episode. You've been listening to Game On Girl. You can find all our social media connections on our website, gameongirl.com. 
I'm the co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can find me on Tumblr, Instagram, and Twitter, or email Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as you can find me on all corners of the internet. Huge, massive thanks to Tony Lestats for joining us on the show this week. Such a pleasure to chat with her about not just gaming but writing what fun yeah well we both are are book lovers anyway yeah exactly we're definitely both both book book lovers and uh and maybe a little bit amateur writers as well Mm -hmm. um so what do we have coming up for events well uh actually the next episode that we record i will be giving a recap of the first annual sci-fi convention here in my home city winston-salem north carolina called congregate awesome yeah. Awesome. So, and I'll be on, <laughs> I'm going to be doing five panels. Oh my so. God. You're a rock star. Yeah. I was looking at it today and I'm like, what? <laughs> but they're good panels. They're all very interesting. And, awesome. um, a couple of them I'm, I'm just helping moderate, but it's going to be a very fun conversation. Yeah. Well, that'll be great. I will look yeah. forward to hearing you report back about Congregate next episode. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, game on. Read on. Read on. I was going to say that. Definitely read on. Read on.